I feel like I've sort of said this a few times recently, but I was uh, recently this week engaged in an online dialogue, which um, I've got to stop doing. Um, <laughs> that's been kind of my thing this year. I'm really, um, I'm really fascinated by internet trolls um, and what that means. I'm not talking about that though today, but uh, internet trolls sort of um, are indicative of online discourse. Um, and so here I was engaged in an online dialogue earlier this week, and someone put up on uh, uh, social media a quote from a so-called Christian leader, a very influential leader, and uh, tagged me, you know, which sort of means, like, I want your opinion on this. So that's how I kind of got engaged in it. But the quote is, uh, Christianity is, I believe, about expanded life, heightened consciousness, and achieving a new humanity. It is not about closed minds, supernatural interventions, a fallen creation, guilt, original sin, or divine rescue. I don't agree with that. I actually agree the inverse, uh, and I'll get to that later. But I'll just repeat that again. Christianity is not, I believe, about expanded life, heightened consciousness, and achieving, is, is about these things, and achieving a new humanity, and not about closed minds, which is sort of a... A jab, supernatural interventions, a fallen creation, guilt, original sin, or divine rescue, which uh, is really the gospel, the divine rescue. But that's beside the point. The thing that's happening here that I've been also confronted with uh, recently uh, and feeling acutely is that the kingdom of God will inevitably confront diabolical opposition. The kingdom of God will inevitably confront diabolical opposition. Um, uh, in so many ways. Um, I think that uh, there are forces that go into something like this sort of quote where a Christian leader is deluded to think that this is the gospel message, that perhaps there are wicked forces involved in that. And there are worse things, to be uh, sure, going on in this world. But the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, inevitably is constantly confronted by opposition. Uh, It's the devil's playground. And this is exactly uh, the witness, not only of 2 Thessalonians, which we read today, a passage from 2 Thessalonians, but also 1 Thessalonians. They kind of go well together, these two letters that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Um, uh, He wrote them pretty closely together, and he, he sort of gets at two major themes in both letters saying quite similar things, uh, sometimes using different language. He talks about the end times, so Christ's second coming, and the importance of work. I'm going to shelve the topic of the importance of work uh, for today and really sort of get at the end times uh, discussion, which really comes through in this first chapter of Second Thessalonians. And there's a subcurrent throughout in both of these works of uh, both of these uh, letters of the work of Satan, and that's related to this end times theme. This present world we see uh, could be characterized by darkness, uh, whereas the kingdom of God could be characterized by light. And Satan, as uh, a mighty fortress says, is the prince of darkness who disguises himself as an angel of light. Do you see the paradox there? That he's often doing things that look good and sound good to our ears and uh, to our eyes, disguising himself uh, to do things that look uh, good to us, but inevitably are wicked. 
you know, something like, I believe in an expanded life, heightened consciousness, and achieving new humanity sounds real positive. It sounds uh, encouraging. But I'm convinced that the prince of darkness might be uh, hiding himself as an angel of light in that sort of phrase. Let's look at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, it's neatly kind of broken up for the most part into four different chunks. The first two verses are Paul's greeting along with Sylvanus and Timothy, which kind of echo the greeting he had in uh, 1 Thessalonians. But then the meat of it starts to pick up in verse 3. Verses 3 and 4, he gives a thanksgiving for the Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica. He talks about how he prays for them and he boasts about them uh, to other people, to other churches. But here's where I really want to talk. Around verse 4, there's sort of a shift in the chapter. Verses 4 through 10, he talks about their suffering and their affliction. Um, I mean, if you've been listening to my, my last like three sermons or so, that's what I've been talking about, is the, the suffering and affliction that the church is up against. And even to this day, there are people who are being beheaded uh, in Syria for their faith. Uh, the church uh, in the earliest days was also up against affliction. And so Paul here jumps into it and talking about the afflictions that the Thessalonians are uh, receiving. And then he goes on to say, but the folks who are afflicting you will receive justice. With the affliction that they've given you, they will also be afflicted. Um, They will be repaid. And also... Paul starts to give a a description of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this is the inciting sort of incident for this letter, that there's a confusion about the coming of Jesus because of all that's happening, the persecutions, that's the context. But there are some people who might be misleading and teaching that Christ has already come. In these early days... Uh, and they're living sort of like, what was the, uh, the, the movie left, left Behind, right? They're living after the facts. But Paul's saying, no, Christ hasn't come again yet. Uh, and then there, after that, there's some really difficult material about those who do not know God. Uh, and this is really what I want to talk about tonight. He says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. He's talking about damnation. And that was part of the online dialogue that I had that, like, how can you believe in something like damnation and hell that's so negative and uh, sort of old school thinking? Uh, But here it is, right here in our own scriptures. Paul's saying those who do not know God will uh, suffer eternal destruction and they'll have uh, really no relationship with God. That's how he describes it. I'm not trying to be a fire and brimstone preacher. When as soon as I start to talk about this stuff, I feel like, People are going to check out and think, why did I come to this church today? You know, um, I'm never going back. But really, I want to talk about what Paul is, is saying here is he's saying those who do not know God will suffer destruction in the form of not having a relationship with God. They'll be in the dark. They'll be in the dark eternally. And this is really important to understand and accept as part of the Christian worldview, because without it, there is no good news. There's no reason for any of this stuff. If there is no sort of flip side to the equation, to the rescue, the divine intervention, supernatural rescue of Jesus Christ. I was listening to a podcast 
uh, also earlier this week uh, called The Moment, uh, which is hosted by this guy named Brian Koppelman, who's a, a TV and movie producer. Uh, and he talks, has these great discussions with artists. And he was talking to this guy named Richard Schindel, who's a, a sort of folk singer, uh, not well known. I just, this was the first time I'd heard about him. And the interview was fascinating to me, especially because of one of the things they got into talking about. But he talks about the theme that runs through all of his music is a sort of longing, uh, a sort of, uh, for a, a, a connection that dissipates, that maybe he senses connections in life, but then they, they leave. He has a longing for, for, for relationship, for hope. And he talks about in the interview how uh, he's an atheist, but for a time in his life, he actually went to seminary, even while he was an atheist, to become a pastoral counselor. Isn't that fascinating? And he knew he was an atheist, but he was, as he says, trying not to be. Uh, and here's uh, just, I sort of transcribed a little bit of the, 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 the interview that Richard Schindel had with Brian Koppelman. He said, uh, that's another element of my work, the desire to believe, but the inability to do so. The desire to believe, but the inability to do so. And Brian Koppelman says, the, ace, the atheist who wishes they weren't is in a constant state of pain. And then Richard Schindel goes on to say, And here's the meat of it. Yes, you're right. And nostalgia. Because you had something once. I mean, I know what it's like to believe. I know what it's like to go to church. I know what it's like to read those books, to be engrossed by those stories, to identify with them. And all of a sudden to wake up one day and think, you know what? I don't actually believe any of this stuff. And the way you really need to believe if you're going to be a member of a faith. I mean, I still find it fascinating so I was at the seminary and I was working toward this and finding out what I had uh, just described to you, that this was not for me because I could see the difference between everybody else and me. Everybody else was totally all in. I was not all in at all. This is really uh, the, the sad thing uh, to me is this nostalgia for faith that he actually has never had, that he thought he had, but this sort of strange nostalgia for a faith, a longing like home, but he has integrity enough to know that he's not all in. Uh, so he had to leave the seminary uh, on his own accord. And honestly, that's what conversion was like for me coming to faith in my twenties to Christianity. It was this, it was, a, 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 I echo what a Richard Schindel says here, uh, this sense of longing, this nostalgia. I was home, but I'd never been here before. It was like, I know in my DNA that, that I've been here before, but I never really have. Uh, and I actually felt it the most in a liturgical context like this. Uh, I'd, I'd never experienced anything like that in my life, but I felt like I had. And I'd wanted it and hungered for it. Well, let me go back to Second uh, Thessalonians, the first chapter, because I didn't end... Uh, with the ending. I didn't uh, talk about the last uh, couple of verses. There's a shift in tone from gloom to hope right there at verse 11 and 12. If there is all this talk about not only the persecution and the afflictions, but those uh, who will suffer uh, 
eternal destruction and not have a relationship uh, with God and will receive the afflictions that they have given, he, sh- he turns it on a dime right here in verse 11. And he says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's really hoping and praying that none of this is true for them. All those within earshot of this letter, he hopes and prays that that will not uh, be the case for them, that they will not suffer the justice, but they will have God's grace, and Jesus Christ will be glorified in them. As Christians, our hope and longing uh, is not only that we would be worthy of an eternal calling as saints of light, but also that many, as many people as possible would leave the domain of darkness and come into the light. We're told even to pray for our own enemies, those who persecute and afflict us. But there's hope even for them, that they will leave the darkness and come into the light. Meanwhile, the kingdom of God will inevitably confront diabolical opposition, as I said earlier. And oftentimes it looks like things that are of the light, but are actually of the darkness. Satan uh, sort of stands in the way of people leaving, kind of like the Matrix, if you've seen that movie. If you haven't, by the way, it's, 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 it's worth a watch if you can stomach the violence uh, for a lot of parallel themes of what I'm talking about here. I think there was a Babylon Bee article last week where it said, uh, if you want to understand the New Testament, something like uh, it was the inverse, like uh, the New Testament, in the New Testament, many themes of Matrix. <laughs> Whereas usually people talked about, talk about Matrix having themes of the New Testament in it. But anyway, the devil stands in the way of us leaving the darkness where the light is. We confront this opposition. Just listen to the story of the Thessalonians in the book of Acts, where they describe the situation. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob set in the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men would have turned the world upside down, uh, who, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus, And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Even the good news sounds like bad news to these people so much that they will drag the believers out into the streets and harm them physically and then in the end blackmail them and take their money. The good news sounds like bad news because the prince of darkness is disguising himself as the angel of light even in these types of situations, and we see it even here now today. Today is Reformation Sunday, as uh, Brandon mentioned earlier uh, when we started the service, is the anniversary of Martin Luther nailing 95 theses on a church wall because that church didn't get it. He was arguing against them. And Luther was well acquainted with diabolical opposition felt it acutely all the time. 
And there's a well-known quote from Luther where he says, the only way to drive away the devil is through faith in Christ by saying, I've been baptized. I am a Christian. One little word shall fell him. You can imagine Martin Luther afflicted by the works of the devil and feeling it up late at night and saying, get away from me, Satan. I'm a Christian. I believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you ever feel that way, you have my permission to do the same out loud. Back off. I'm baptized. I'm a Christian. One little word shall fell him. In other words, I'm a citizen of the light, worthy of God's calling. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ is glorified in me according to the grace of our God. And this is our hope. Back to uh, Richard Schindel that I talked about in that podcast. At the very beginning of the podcast, Brian Koppelman jokes with him about his brand new album called Careless, uh, which Koppelman describes as very sad. And Schindel says he doesn't actually see it that way. He says, uh, uh, and the, the very first song is called uh, It's All Wide Open. He says, yeah, but it's all wide open. Hope springs eternal which is a reference uh, both to a song title, as I said, and also to Alexander Pope's poem, An Essay on Man. And here's the line from An Essay on Man that he's referring to. Hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man never is, but always to be blessed. The soul, uneasy and confined from home, rests and expiates in a life to come. Let me read that again. Hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man never is, but always to be blessed. The soul, uneasy and confined from home, rests and expiates in a life to come. Uh, This message of the eternal blessing, rest, and hope, and the eternal life to come is for you. It's for each and every one of you here tonight. Perhaps you know that you're a child of the light. As Shindell said in his podcast interview, perhaps you know that you're all in. Uh, I'm so glad to provide reassurance for you tonight by hearing these words. And I hope you'll say yes and amen to everything that I've spoken. But perhaps you have no idea whether to believe this stuff or not. All that I'm talking about, all that we've read, all that we'll sing and all that we'll pray. Maybe you're dubious about this story, this worldview. But still, like Schindel, you have a longing in your heart, a nostalgia for something like light. Christianity is not ultimately about an expanded life, heightened consciousness, or achieving a new humanity. Those might be byproducts, but that's not the message. It is about supernatural interventions, a fallen creation, guilt, and original sin. But more importantly, it's about a rescue uh, from the actual Prince of Light, Jesus Christ, who comes in our darkness to lead us out, to lead us to the light. And it's diabolical that minds are too often closed. We're not closed-minded, but minds are too often closed to this message in the dark when they hear it. And so tonight, uh, Reformation Sunday, with all these songs that we'll sing, the ones that we've already sung, Uh, listen to the words of these songs that we've chosen that echo all the themes that I've tried to talk to you about. It's also evening prayer, which we do about once a month and on fifth Sundays like tonight. 
Um, and we only pull out candles uh, for evening prayer, not because uh, we're super spiritual, because metaphorically they symbolize Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Even though we sit in the dim light here tonight, we're reminded of the light, which is Christ. And as we pray these prayers and sing these songs, I invite you to think about them as a real possibility, that these things are true, and that the nostalgia that you feel in your heart is Jesus Christ saying, come in, come in, come out of the darkness and come into the light. Amen.